Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Investment trusts come back into fashion. The world's oldest collective investment vehicles have undergone a reinvention, providing access to esoteric asset classes. Daniel Godfrey, former chief executive of the Investment Association, has been an outspoken critic of the fund management industry. Now he's launching his own vehicle, the People's Trust. But how is it different? And do investment trusts really offer good value? The Investors Chronicle has been investigating, and the results may surprise you. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you the week's money news in downloadable form. For decades, and in some cases centuries, investment trusts have proved a dull but reliable choice for old-fashioned income seekers. But the sector is undergoing something of a radical makeover. Shaken up by activists, trusts today are moving away from plain vanilla equities and targeting more esoteric and illiquid asset classes, such as infrastructure, property and even peer-to-peer loans. I'm joined in the FT studio by Amy Williams, reporter for FT Money, who's written all about the changes in the sector this week. Welcome to The Money Show. Hello. So for the benefit of any novice investors listening, can you just give us a quick explainer about how investment trusts work? Well, an investment trust is a type of fund. That's the first thing we should say. So unlike a classic mutual fund, the way you get your money back is a bit different. So with a mutual fund, You give your money to a fund manager. When you want your money back, you ask the fund manager for it back. With an investment trust, you never ask for your money back from the fund manager. You sell your shares to another investor. So investment trusts are like companies. They list on a stock exchange. They issue shares. You buy the shares. And when you want to get your money back, you sell the shares on the stock exchange to another investor. So the value can go up and down, the share price. But there's also the net asset value, the value of the underlying assets. And sometimes investment trusts can trade a discount. Just explain briefly how that works. Because investment trusts issue shares, like a company, the share price can go up and down depending on how many people want to buy or sell those shares. Mm. You can kind of see the value of an investment trust. You can see what it's holding. It tells you what it's holding. So people talk about the net asset value of the investment trust. So just as with a normal fund, it's holding things. You can see how much they're worth. But because the shares trade on a stock exchange, the share price may not be the same as the value of the fund. So sometimes it can be more than the value of the fund, and then we say it's trading on a premium, and sometimes it can be less, and we say it's trading on a discount. Great. Very clearly explained. Now, investment trust traditionally used to be all about targeting dividend-paying equities, but you found in your feature that they're now being used as what you call a liquidity wrapper for some much more unusual investments. 
Yes, yeah, so Numis, who are a big broker, estimate that about 80% of issuances over the last year or so have been in alternative asset classes. So this is quite a liquid asset classes, things like infrastructure, property and peer-to-peer loans, as, as you've already said. So this is in part governed by low interest rates and investors wanting income. To get income, they have to invest in more illiquid assets. And take more risks. And take more risks. Mm. And investment trusts are very good structure for giving investors access to this because you never actually need to pull your money out of the assets. You just sell your shares to another investor. So they've actually turned out to be a really great way for investors to put their money in things that they may not otherwise have considered. And in your piece, you look at some of the more unusual things, as we've said, like peer-to-peer loans and um, infrastructure, which the newer investment trusts are um, are taking a look at. But property is one of the areas that interested me the most, because when it comes to investing in a property fund through a listed trust structure, what are the pros and cons of doing that as opposed to an open-ended property fund? Well, the open-ended property funds ran into quite a lot of trouble, as, as we saw after the vote to leave the European Union. And what happened there was that because investors wanted their money back en masse, the fund managers needed to sell the property to give them the money back because that's how that fund structure works. And they couldn't do that and they had to suspend the fund. So investors got their money trapped. With an investment trust, the fund manager never has to sell the property, or they will eventually, obviously, but they don't have to sell it to give the investors money back you would sell your shares to another investor. The downside of that is the share price can collapse. It can it can drop very The discount quickly. can become exactly, very, very deep. Exactly, indeed. exactly. So although you, you technically can get out of the fund in an investment trust, whereas you can't or you couldn't with an open-ended fund, the price you pay may be quite high, i.e., the shares may not be worth very much. Well, thanks very much there to Amy Williams. You can read her feature, Investment Trusts Come Back Into Fashion, detailing all of the changes happening in the sector in FT Money on Saturday as part of the FT Weekend newspaper or online at ft.com money. Still to come on The Money Show, Leonora Walters from the Investors Chronicle talks us through the latest trends in investment trusts. Before that, it's been a year since Daniel Godfrey was ousted from the Investment Association. Listeners may recall that the trade body's investment fund members locked horns with him over a variety of initiatives he was championing, including tougher standards on cost disclosure. Since then, he's reinvented himself as a consumer champion for investors, calling for wider changes in the investment industry. And this week, he's launched a crowdfunding campaign to start the People's Trust, an investment trust he believes will change the established order. Daniel, welcome back to The Money Show. Thank you, Claire. Is it fair to say that the People's Trust embodies the changes you have long wanted to see yourself in the fund management industry? Yeah, I think that would be fair. I think the two objectives that I have here are firstly that we can create something which has the best possible structure in terms of being able to be clear of any of the conflicts of interest that can end up detrimental to customers' interests, but also to have an investment proposition which also can over time deliver the best possible returns to our customers who will be the shareholders of this vehicle, but also have a better impact on the economy and society. And the secret behind that is really having a structure that's owned by its customers, like the investment trust that Amy's just been talking about, but also to have a structure which has a really long-term investment perspective so that we can back companies rather than putting them under pressure to do things short-term that may actually compromise the long-term returns that they can deliver. And the returns that you're targeting are quite generous. 
Well, I don't think they are that generous. I think if you look at stock markets over the last 120 years and think about what they may be over the next 40, which would be the sort of average time horizon that a, let's say, a 40-year-old would have, there's no reason to think that good investment management, high conviction, long-term, low turnover, engaging with companies to ensure that they behave responsibly won't deliver the same sort of returns over that period. We can sit here today and say that the environment is particularly challenging, and Mm. it is. But I still think it's right that we should provide some sort of target, which is quite rare in the investment industry. And and just to be clear, the the target that you're seeking is a 7% compounded annual. Yes, when you say that, I think it would be, to be clear, what we'd say is that in a typical seven-year period, we would Mm. expect returns to be around 7% per annum compound after costs. And of course, we also need to say that some seven-year periods will be better than that, maybe considerably, and there will also be seven-year periods that will be worse. Worse, But it is important, I think, for funds to be accountable to shareholders, to tell them, to give them a starting point to understand when they should be pleased and when they should be disappointed. And if we achieve, whatever we achieve, we should be explained to our customers why we've achieved it so that they can take a view, well, they achieved more than seven, but actually, in the environment we've had, that's not very good. Or they can take a view, they achieved less than seven, but in the environment we've had, that's a miracle. So accountability is the key here and straight straight talking. And I think if you make your target easy, well, why would anyone need to pay anyone to do that? It should be challenging. Now, let's come on to charges. Written many columns in FT Money about fees and charges in the investment industry. And when it comes to your own fund, you've said that your charges won't be the cheapest in the market. So how will you stand out from other actively managed funds? Well, I think that we're not setting out to be the cheapest. We're setting out to deliver a long-term good return for people who understand that being patient about returns is likely to give them a better outcome than, than being flighty. And that's the approach we want to take to owning companies as well. So... I think that's how we will stand out. I think a seven-year measurement window is not something I've seen before. But as I said, I'm not really trying to be different or unique. I'm just trying to make something as good as it possibly can be. And what you will know with the People's Trust is that everyone who's involved is absolutely committed to making the costs as cheap as they possibly can be consistent with the returns and the way we're trying to invest. And for example, you won't be paying fund managers bonuses or passing on research costs to investors. We won't be paying any employees of the People's Trust any bonuses. Instead, they will be paid part of their salary in shares that they will have to themselves own for seven years, which means that they will be completely aligned with the same interests of our shareholders, but not incentivized inadvertently to do something that may cause them detriment. We'd also work with uh, fund managers that we appoint to manage parts of the portfolio to say, we just want clean fees from you and we Mm. don't want any of the we pay dealing commissions for trading equities and you receive free research in return. We just want to have complete transparency between us and our managers too. And can you tell listeners why you've chosen the crowdfunding route to prove that there is demand from investors for a product like this? It's really the key question, Claire. I think that there are three elements that you need to succeed in if you're going to be able to do something very different in a system which is so strong. One is, I believe, that you need, it makes it a lot easier certainly, to have a vehicle which is not controlled by external commercial interests so that you can devote all of your attention, all of the economies of scale and all of your efforts towards serving your shareholders who are your customers. The second is that you have people implementing 
the strategy and the approach who are not conflicted either. And this is why we have the bonus and pay structure that we have. The third, which is something I can't control, and I don't think we could possibly know until we test this, and this is what we're testing, is are there enough real people out there who understand that investment could be better, who yearn for something different, which can give them better returns, but also, very importantly, can help to make the economy, the society and the climate better than it is today? Are there enough people out there who are willing to demonstrate their commitment to seeing something like that happening by coming to a website and paying £20 to become a co-founder? And that's why we're uh, testing that demand as well as covering our development costs through this crowdfunding exercise. If we can raise £100,000 from the public, I think that will then give everyone involved in this, and it's not just me, it's a number of very good, very reputable companies as well, that will give us the confidence that it's worth putting in the effort and effectively undertaking the costs in getting this to the formal public launch of the People's Trust. Well, thanks very much. That was Daniel Godfrey, Chief Executive of the People's Trust, and you can read more about the launch of the People's Trust on ft.com slash money and in FT Money this weekend. The Investors Chronicle magazine has been going for over 150 years and throughout that time has been a go-to source of information and investment ideas for fans of investment trusts. This week, the FT's sister publication will publish its annual investment trust special, The New Trust Stars, with a wealth of content. The sector has stood the test of time, but what does the future hold? Leonora Walters, personal finance editor, joins me now in the FT studio. Welcome. Hi. So, firstly... Investment trusts are often seen as a cheap or good value choice for investors. Is this really true? Ultimately, it depends on each investment trust. You need to check what the ongoing charge is. But largely, that's not true because a few years ago, the Financial Conduct Authority banned commission payments to independent financial advisors, which were wrapped up in the fees of open-ended funds. Now, they no longer include that. So, fees and open-end funds have massively dropped. They used to have an ongoing charge of maybe about 1.6%. Now they have an ongoing charge of roughly around 0.75%. In a lot of cases, are more expensive. And one reason for this is because quite a lot of them have a performance fee, mm. something that's virtually unheard of among open-ended funds other than those in the targeted absolute return sector. This has been confirmed by two studies this year. In August, we reported that wealth manager Tilney Best Invest identified 47 pairs of funds and investment trusts with similar investment strategies run by the same teams and in 53% of cases the open-ended funds had lower ongoing charges than the investment trusts. Right. More recently, a report by Canaccord Genuity found that out of 51 comparable investment trusts and open-ended funds, only 45% of the trusts had lower ongoing charges. Great. And the other given about investment trusts is how they're favoured by income seekers. Now, one area that your readers are concerned about, quite rightly, is how well covered dividends are in the UK equity income sector. How worried should they be? I think we need to be less worried about investment trusts. I mean, we've obviously all heard about large FTSE 100 companies mm. cutting dividends this year, which is concerning, you know, if you're relying on it as a saver. 
But uh, investment trusts have an inherent advantage. Investment trusts can build up a reserve. Every year, they can hold back 15% of their income and bank it up. So if, for example, we come along to a year where, like this year, there's dividend cuts, even if uh, the shares invested in don't pay out many dividends, they can top up what they do get with income from this, this reserve. And finally, you've quizzed four fund of fund managers who run portfolios of investment trusts and asked them for their top picks covering a number of different themes. Now, without giving the game away completely, can you reveal a couple of their favourites? Yes. Well, we asked them for suggestions in four areas, growth, income, wealth, preservation and diversification. So I'll um, I'll start with um, wealth preservation, which is obviously quite a, a relevant concern for many, area at many the listeners. moment, with all the uncertainties. And in this category, one trust actually got two nominations. This mm. is a relatively new investment trust called Sanditon Investment Trust, which is a small trust and invests in pan-European equities. And its objective is to deliver at least 2% a year above inflation for low correlation to equity markets. Now, this trust only launched in 2014, but its managers are actually really, really experienced, well-known names in the industry, Tim Russell and Chris Rice. What makes this trust a bit different as well is that it owns about 20% Um, of its asset management company. Now, the asset manager is quite new, but if this asset manager does well, which um, it could well do with um, good names like Tim Russell and Chris Rice, that 20% stake should be really valuable and Sanderson could do really well, as well as having these wealth preservation attributes. Now, another suggestion, I'll turn to Murray International Trust. I think this is a good option. It's a global growth, sorry, a global equity income investment trust. And I think the fact is UK investors tend to rely too much on the UK. So adding a global equity income fund rather than a UK equity income fund could be quite relevant. Murray offers an attractive yield of about 4%. It has a very good long-term record, but the last three years it didn't do so well. But this year it's bounced back. And I think that's partly because its manager, Bruce Stout, he is quite cautious, cautiously positioned. So you might, you might get left behind when things but when things are bad like this year, he really comes into his own. And he does favour things like, you know, well-financed, safe companies, as, as well as some fixed income plays. And it is a good diversifier in that it only has about 11% of its assets in the UK, but exposure to areas that UK investors might not have a lot of, like Latin America and like Asia. Well, thanks very much there to Leonora Walters, personal finance editor of the Investors Chronicle magazine. Their annual Investment Trust special issue, Investment Trust Stars, goes on sale this Friday, available in all good news agents, or read us online at investorschronicle.co.uk. We'd love to hear your views on the changing world of investment trust and money matters more generally. You can email us money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. The Money Show will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our FT News podcasts, which focus on one of the main issues of the day and bring you the insights and expertise of our global network of journalists as well as outside contributors. You can download these at ft.com slash podcasts most days of the week. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.